You're listening to Her, an ongoing conversation for women by women, exploring all things heal, empower, and rise, giving voice to the feminine. This is a podcast where women support women through thought-provoking, authentic, and raw conversations. We provide an uncensored platform for our guests with diverse viewpoints that are not necessarily consistent with the perspectives of your hosts. I'm Elika. I'm Alegria, and we're here to guide this adventure with you. Your voice matters. Let your voices be heard. In today's episode, co-hosts Elika and Alegria discuss the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and the impact social media is having on our lives. They explore their habits, addictions, and the anecdotes to their use with social media and how to source reliable media in the information age. Okay, so we both just watched the social dilemma on Netflix and wow mind blown as my daughter would say (laughs) (laughs) yes Uh, absolutely I um I'm curious I mean I with that in mind with watching that documentary I I feel like social media is a great topic to jump into and and how it's affecting our lives at the present moment. Um, I think, I think a good place to start would be when was the first social media platform that you joined and what was it? It's so funny that you asked that question because right before I got on with you, I actually Googled, does MySpace still exist? Yeah. And it does. <laughs> but then funny. there was some kind of, they transferred servers and a lot of information uh, got corrupt, corrupted. And so there's a lot of information that was lost. So if I were to go and try to look for my old profile, I probably wouldn't be able to find it and I'd have to create a new one. Um, I think that is the, as far as I can recall, the first social media platform that I was on, and I used it really to reconnect with high school friends and um, have conversations with them. So it was really great. I was like, wow, I love this. So then when Facebook came, came on board, I don't know what it was, but it was more user-friendly. So then I started just using Facebook. So that was my, that's my recollection of the first platform that I was on. And now I have like a bunch of accounts, business, you know, personal, and I also use Instagram and we're linking everything up for our podcast. And so we're, we're using social media. So it's going to be an interesting discussion because my mind was blown as well. I can't say I was super shocked. I, I feel like on a level, at least in my social network, we talk about 
how we are manipulated by social media all the time. So it wasn't shocking, but the degree to which the documentary went into each platform strategically utilizing psychology to manipulate us, to change our behaviors, and just how overt the strategies were was, was that got creepy. And, uh, and so it's interesting because what started out as a way to connect with my circle and a way to make friends and a way to keep in touch in a more frequent way um, is used now to change my behavior and track my, like track every one of my behaviors and get into my psychology and then build algorithms around my psychology so that my uh, purchasing behaviors or my, just even my daily psychology that I get a dopamine hit, you know, first thing when I wake up in the morning and check my Facebook <laughs> and like multiple times throughout the day, if I ever feel alone or isolated, I know where to go to get that hit or that fix and, and how easy, and it's always in my hands and just how much thought process has gone into building an addiction with social media is pretty profound. So um, I kind of want to backtrack because I want to share my history with social media a little bit too, because, um, because I remember the very first time a friend brought up a social network and it was called Friendsters. <laughs> Ow. And I didn't join Friendsters, but the concept was really interesting to me of just being able to build a social network that, that I could be engaging with online. But the first actual social network that I joined was tribe.net. And this was a real Bay Area and Burning Man centric uh, platform and and the way it worked in my life was incredible. I feel like when tribe.net was around, I was really just coming into myself as an adult. I was getting to know what was important to me and what my values were outside of what I was raised with in my family. And I was building friendships worldwide that I was able to maintain because of this social network. Um, and it also set me on a path of traveling the world and having connections to meet up with all over the globe. It was mind blowing and really exciting. And the conversations that we would have on tribe.net were really, really fulfilling. And it wasn't just photo sharing, although it was that too. And then there were testimonials. Your friends could give you testimonials. So there was this social proof uh, component to it, you know, where people could get to know you and how you engaged with the platform. And then it got really clunky. It slowed down. Nothing would load quickly. And so our interest was being shaken up. And this is when Facebook enters stage left, you know, <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden, because of 
the inefficiencies of tribe.net and because of the slow loading, which all seemed somewhat quite strategic because all of us started jumping ship because the platform was not working anymore. Now I did actually do a search for it recently. It is no longer out there. So all of that photo content and all of that material and all those engaging conversations that I was having on that platform, deleted. <laughs> How <laughs> crazy is that? Well, it's probably somewhere. It's in some vault somewhere, <laughs> but, but it's gone. And, um, and now we're all on Facebook and I've, you know, reconnected the dots with all my social networks on Facebook. Facebook is the platform. I do actually have friends that to this day are still not on Facebook and I completely admire them. <laughs> you know, that's really interesting. Me too. And I don't know how they do it because, and then I have friends that say, oh, I'm going to get off of Facebook for a month you know, try to get off of that social media and they come right back. It's, it is an addiction and I am so addicted. I've noticed after watching this, I'm so addicted and my family is addicted. And, you know, my nieces who are preteens and teenagers are addicted and it's very sad, you know, how we're manipulated and persuaded to do things online. And it's, it's just sad. <laughs> and, yeah. but, you know, and I, I'm, I'm just like, okay, in November, I am going to detox from social media. So I really want to do it. I know there's ways to do it. So I have like five or six Instagram accounts, <laughs> business and social uh, that I manage for all of my projects. So it's going to be very interesting letting the world know hey, I'm going to be off, so, and see if you're missed. You're probably not even missed. You know, maybe that's kind of like a reset for your social media because I've noticed, and I've actually said this to a couple of my friends, and I posted recently about it before I watched The Social Dilemma. I posted, wow, it's really funny that I'll say something, and then these ads pop up listing something advertising something that is about what I just said. <laughs> I forget exactly what it was that I posted, but I did. I, I noticed that I was talking and something popped up about what I was saying, an advertisement. So it freaked me out. So I had to post it out there and said, yeah, you have to change your settings. Is it that easy? You just change your settings. Um, turn off your notifications. I don't know. How easy, how easy is it to not be tracked? Well, one thing that's really interesting is that there's no, so this was mentioned in the documentary, but there really is no regulation of social media. It's very limited, the regulation. And the laws, just like with anything, are so far behind where it actually is already at. So um, the fact that they've monetized the platforms, all of them, every single one of them is monetized to get our attention and keep us logged on and engaged. And that they've really mastered 
the psychology to keep us engaged. And so you're asking like, can we just turn off the settings? And I don't know, I think you could turn off whatever you want. And I think they're still tracking every move. As long as you've got this beautiful little device anywhere near you, it has a speaker. It is a two-way speaker, right? Because it's also a phone. <laughs> I mean, that's right. really, I mean, folks have really, really put a lot of thought and effort into getting as much predictable data from us as possible. Um, and yeah, and I thought it was very interesting that they had said that they started off with all these great intentions really to help people socialize virtually. However, it's taken away from us socializing more physically, you know, getting together and networking. We're networking a lot online. I know now with the pandemic, you know, we sometimes just, we just don't have a choice and it's actually, I feel, a great tool to communicate. Um, however, I, I think it's very interesting that these were former engineers, you know, that helped create these systems and then the systems just took over. And now I think they're just not even in control of these systems because that's what they said. You know, so a lot of these engineers just said, hey, you know, these algorithms just have a mind of their own and we created them as a tool and now it's just a system that does what it does and we have no control as humans over, over these systems. It's not new and they alluded to that in the documentary too. With every advancement in technology, there's always been the question, well, how advanced is it? And, and is it gonna surpass us? You know, they talked about the evolution of our brains in relation to the advancement of technology and that cars today might be twice as fast as they were when they were initially designed. And that's the mark of progress of a vehicle, right? Um, but when you look at algorithms and you look at the technology, it is so far, it is exponentially advanced in how much it's developed since it was launched. Um, you know, it, <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. Um, as I was watching it though, I, I did really think, you know, this isn't new. When TV came out, it was a lot of the same concerns and, and there's data to show you that television and mental health or television and, you know, our psychological development, all of those things have been affected. So we've been dealing with technologies that have been manipulating us for a very, very long time. And it makes me think of uh, in the 60s, I think it was the 60s, uh, one of my favorite authors, Ray Bradbury, wrote The Illustrated Man, which was a collection of short stories. I don't know if you, did you ever read that? No. It's really good, uh, really fun to read. It's a collection of short stories. And one of the first stories in the book is called The Velt. And it's about a dad 
who builds this playroom for his children and whatever they can imagine is what virtually appears in the room. And so if they're thinking about being in the jungle, the room will turn into a jungle. And it's really exciting until at one point the question is posed, at what point is the technology using us? Which is where we're at right now with all of these social network platforms, right? At which point is the technology using us because in the Velt, well, I don't want to give the story away. You should read the story. It's really good. But that becomes the question. And uh, that's what we're faced with right now with social media is like, okay, so it was designed for us to play with and to connect and build social networks. And yes, it has served and has the potential to continue serving us as a tool to get whatever needs met. However, there's a tipping point and it now is using us and changing our behavior. So that's, that's where we need to start looking at it and assessing our own usage, putting boundaries in place for ourselves, paying attention to our addictions. Um, and it, it was fascinating. One of the quotes that they posted in the documentary was that there's really, I'm not quoting this verbatim, I'm summarizing it, but there's really only two industries that refer to their customers as quote, users, unquote. And I found that quite fascinating because mm -hmm. on social media platforms, we are users. <laughs> That's <Yes>. so terrifying. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And I thought it was so disturbing especially now with the elections, how they're driving the elections and persuading you one way or the other. So what some, someone watches, that's a particular party, and they're not watching the same thing. They're not seeing the same things you are, okay? So if you're a Democrat, you're seeing things, you know, that are more influencing you, you know, to vote Democrat. And then if you're a Republican, you're seeing things that are more um, Republican and conservative. And then those people that you're having, you can't even have an honest debate because you're seeing certain information that may be false information. You know, and these advertisers are the ones that are in control. So these big companies, you know, and Russia and whatever, you know, are in control of the data that you see, the information that you see. So um, it's, it's so disturbing because then you start to question all of everything that you're seeing. Uh, is this true? Um, so they recommended uh, fact checking on your own. So get out of social media, do your own fact checking, um, do more research and become more educated, you know, what, what you're trying to uh, find more information about because social media is, it's kind of dangerous in a way. And then the other thing, I'm concerned about my nieces. I mean, they're preteen and teenagers and they're on social media a lot. A lot of them are on TikTok, uh, they're on Instagram, not too much Facebook, uh, but they're TikTok and Instagram. 
and I just worry about them because um, they're, they're changing and they're easily persuaded and manipulated. They showed a graph on this, this movie that said the rise in uh, teen suicides is increasing. Why is that? And that's really concerning to me because I feel like sometimes we just are so busy that we don't and, and I'm guilty of it because when my kids were growing up, there wasn't too much social media, thank God. <laughs> but um, I don't know if there was any social media with my kids. There were, there were cell phones um, and they were texting, but there was not really all this social media while they were growing up. So my kids weren't really exposed to it, but I know that I was busy. And um, sometimes it's just easier to say, here's the phone and go on social media and talk to your friends and keep to yourself because you're just busy with work and busy with life. And we just have to remember, especially now with this pandemic, um, I think that that's the silver lining. We, it's good and bad. You know, there are a lot of households that are still struggling, but I think a lot of parents now are forced to really spend the time with their kids and give them that quality time. I want to go back a little bit to part of what you were just saying about um, the fact checking, because I think that uh, a lot of folks maybe won't know where to look to do their fact checking and, and what do you look for to check facts and how do you find and discern truth? I know that the media is driven by the dollar. Everyone's driven by the monetary incentivization of everything. And so everything's skewed to get the most readers, the most clicks, the most. So you get a lot of this sensationalized headlines and that is not fact checking, you know, reading a news article which by and large is at least 95% editorial or biased, isn't the best source of facts, you know, and it takes me back, gosh, how long has it been since I've been in college? <laughs> like, you know, we had to write all of these theses where we had to find not one, not two, but three or more concrete examples of cited uh, evidence to prove any given point. You had to, you had to make your point and you had to go and prove your point with evidence and um, notate, notated citation. <laughs> so research that we see online is also very skewed. Uh, they showed in the documentary that when you start typing in your Google search engine, which is everybody's go-to for looking up and referencing information, note I did not say facts. <laughs> right, right. The minute that you go and start typing, it's already designed based on algorithms of your location, of what you've already looked at on the internet. Of all, of, So there's already kind of a realm that you exist in on Google. And when you start typing what you're searching for, it gives you these automated guesses of what the rest of your search is. So that you don't even have to type in your full question, which inherently has an impact on what you see and or if you even stay 
focused on what you were actually looking for because now this new word popped oh well actually maybe i am interested in that and then you click on the automated generated hinted search uh question and you go into this rabbit hole of misinformation so yeah. what's fact and what's fiction you know when i was going to school and again going back to what you said and do writing papers, uh, typing papers. I'm a typewriter, I might add, <laughs> when I was in school. And uh, in college, I remember just, you had to read books. I mean, how are you gonna cite anything? I grew up back when there was AOL, you know, <laughs> the, the dial tone. <laughs> and you had to wait a long time to get on the internet. Strategy. So, that's what I started with was prodigy. That was like the internet. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. I mean, it, so it, it brings up a good question. What is fact and how do you discern what fact is? Most of the headlines in our newspapers, most of what you see on any news channel is somewhat unreliable in that it's got a biased slant. It has an agenda. The agenda is run by the marketing that is running and sponsoring those programs. And so how can you discern what the truth is? And it's funny, I, I was teaching a workshop, I've been getting back into teaching nonviolent communication. And the first step of nonviolent communication is observation. When we're exploring observation, one of the things is, I like to liken it like a video camera, you know, it's just recording. It does not have any thoughts. It does not have any judgments. It does not have any editorial context. It is simply recording. So when you think about observation in any interaction with another and you're breaking it down, you can distill the facts which are indisputable. Facts are basically indisputable. <laughs> they just are fact to what a video camera would be picking up what the video camera heard. There's no, there's no real context. It's just, she picked up the book and placed it on the table. She was wearing a blue sweater, <laughs> like he smiled, you know? And it's just that, it's not, he was happy because a smile doesn't necessarily mean happy. People, Correct. Smile, people smile when they're uncomfortable. You know, so, so it's not assigning any interpretation and that's what fact and truth is. And I'm not finding that anywhere in any news at all today. I'm not seeing fact. Every single thing that I read, especially the articles popping up on social media are so editorialized that it's just, it's frustrating. Where can we get straight, unadulterated, factual information so that we as individuals get to make up our own minds about what's happening in the world. <laughs> oh my God. That is Where the question. That, that is the question. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to pose it. Like we really have to just put it out there. Does anyone know? This is what it means to take a breath, take a pause, um, sit still with our own feelings, be comfortable with ourselves, build and foster deep, authentic connections with each other, not just on social media, but how do we really drop in? I'll tell you, I have, I have a few 
friends that are kind of a generation just below, you know, just beneath me. They, they, they were born maybe 10 years after me and they grew up with a device in their hands. You know, I didn't. I'm on this baby boomer slash millennial midground, you know, <laughs> like, I feel like I walk in the world a little bit differently, but the folks coming in maybe 10 years after me grew up with devices in their hands. And it is a very rare scenario when we can be sitting in the same room, having tea together, having a conversation and we're present with each other. Because my experience has been that when we're having that tea and sitting together, they must look at their phone like 10 times in 10 minutes, you know, or, or if a notification goes off, they absolutely cannot not pick up the phone, you know, and I don't, I'm not like that, you know, like when I'm hanging out with a friend, my phone's over there. I'm not looking at it unless I'm about to take a picture. I will say that that photo on the phone is the one thing that will get it, get me to grab it is to snap photos and capture the moment. But I'm not ruled by the notifications on my phone. Not even if it rings. I don't, I don't answer every time unless I'm expecting an important call. But it's just interesting like how trained we've become with our devices to be so attentive to them. At the end of the documentary, they had some of the most, um, what I thought were the most powerful pieces of the documentary, but it was all happening when the credits were scrolling. And it was all the ways that we can recalibrate, all the ways that we can utilize the platforms and the devices as our tools, rather than be used as tools to the devices. So I, I think we can coexist. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned the, um, you know, picking up our phones because that's what we use to take pictures. And now the phones have gotten so advanced, you know, with the cameras being a professional photographer taking a picture, you know, the filters and the editing software and everything. And at, I had two weddings uh, this summer that I planned and I noticed that during the ceremony, everybody's whipping out their phones, you know, and the photographer, <laughs> if the photographer takes a picture, she's taking, or he's taking a picture of all of these guests with their phones out. <laughs> it's so crazy, right? So I'm guilty of it. However, I do put my phone away and put it on silent during ceremonies because I just don't want, if there's a videographer, you just don't want that noise while they're doing their vows. Also, you mentioned the end with the credits and everything. They started to ask that question. Do you think that there's hope? Can we turn this around? You know, can we take control? And those that were being interviewed, which were like CEOs, engineers, former employees of Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all of those people said that it's going to be difficult to turn this around, but we can do it. What, what can we do? So they said the leaders need to realize there's a problem. Be open to having genuine and honest conversations about the issue, you know, because there is an issue. And then to turn off all notifications, never accept recommendations on social media before sharing fact check and research on your own. Uh, clicking creates this perpetual cycle and system. So the more we click, the more we're adding to the problem. Uh, follow people you disagree with to be exposed to other points of views. 
which is super important because I think we like to take the path of least resistance. I do that a lot, but you know, I think it's important for us to have healthy debates and listen to others' points of views and be open-minded. All devices out of the bedroom by a fixed time. No social media until 16 years old. These, these were the takeaways for me. <laughs> and these were the things that the CEOs who are designing these programs were suggesting, which is yes. really fascinating. And, and they also mentioned that they're also the ones that absolutely do not allow their children to utilize the platforms that they're building. They also acknowledge that they themselves, as designers of these programs, fall victim to the manipulations of the softwares that they're actually designing. So they're not immune, even though they can see behind the curtain. It's that powerful. Yeah, and but they're, having... they're trying to change it. So they're trying to make it better. But they also said, you know, we've lost some control here. We can't really do anything because the systems have a mind of their own. They've taken on this just gone forward without humans. <laughs> well, it's not just it's not just the system, it's the incentivization of, you know, the dollar. Right. It all goes back to the dollar. Yeah, the adva the advancement of all of this is driven by the monetization of the platforms and the deep pockets. They, you know, one point was that never in the history of humanity has there ever been a company as wealthy as these large super tech companies and corporations. Never. Like the amount of wealth in the tech industry, it's exponential. Right, right. And we're completely for sale, so. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, this is why I might. I we, might we'd like to think we're not. <laughs> well, we are. We're in it. I'm not saying that I'm not manipulated at all, but I'm, I am saying that I feel like I'm able to step away. Um, I feel like I'm also able to prioritize real-time, in-person, not social platform, not social media connections and relationships and um, experiences, you know? I'm not hiding behind a screen all the time. Am I hiding behind it more than I should be? Definitely, definitely, especially right now because I can't just get up and go and meet with someone at a coffee shop like normal. That's gotta be one of the things I'm personally most concerned with about with the pandemic is how hand in hand these social platforms and their manipulations are able to go with the isolation that has increased due to the pandemic. And then right. the polarization, you know, we're, we are in an election. So of course, every ounce of everything is politically charged in some way at this, at this moment in time and it will become more so over the course of this next month. And I'm not happy about that. I am also guilty of the exact thing that they spoke of in that polarity of being so engrossed and manipulated by what's in my newsfeed that I can't even see the other side. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of the exact thing that I feel like the documentary 
called us out on was not being able to relate to the other side perspective at all so much so that we think that the other side is stupid and dumb and embarrassingly I've had those exact thoughts of like how could they possibly how could they possibly think like that is the most stupid thing like I've had those thoughts and I'm guilty of that and that terrifies me because I really value connection and communication with opposing views. And the fact that that documentary was able to call me out on that very thinking, that terrifies me because that shows me the, de the degree of efficacy that the platforms are having in my life, in their manipulations, not out of what I want, but in the way they're manipulating me. Well, I am right there with you. <laughs> So I have to tell you that I feel very disappointed in myself, but also in because I feel like that I'm being manipulated because of my beliefs and what I look up and what I Google search and how I'm going about researching and finding the information I need. I do think the same way you do, where someone disagrees with me and I'm like, how like how is this person not seeing what I'm seeing? Mm -hmm. And then it causes so much tension because inevitably, even though I say I don't discuss politics, I do not discuss politics, okay? Because I know that that's going to be something that's going to crush a relationship for me. So I always say I don't discuss politics, but inevitably it'll come up some kind of, it'll be a particular topic, you know, that's very, very debatable, you know, that that's, let's say like an abortion or you know, that's a hot topic, immigration, you know, things like that. Those things, uh, white supremacy, Black Lives Matter, you know, we've talked about this before. We won't even talk about it because it's so, it's a hot topic. It's something that people feel so strongly about. So if you have your views, it's, it's really difficult to see someone else's views and I think a lot of it has to do with what we're seeing ourselves, you know, how manipulated we are and how persuaded we are because we're not seeing the other side. We're not seeing other information. We're just seeing what we are seeing based on our beliefs because we're being manipulated and tracked all the time. So it's hard to see what's factual and what's fiction. Am I really, <laughs> I know what my beliefs are, but it's hard for me, like you said, you know, to, to fathom you know, someone else not seeing what you think is factual, what, what you're seeing. So yeah, that's so deep and profound. It's crazy. I think that's what that's, it shows the value of connecting in real time and having real conversations and not just debating or arguing or trying to have those conversations through type set, you know, and fonts and, um, you know, on thread. Yeah, none of that. You know, it's it's interesting. I have I have some family members that see the world differently than I do. And some of my favorite family members are the ones that have such a different perspective from myself. Um, but they're able to articulate it and they're able to show me why they think the way they do. And we may still not 
agree at the end of that conversation, but I deeply appreciate the synergy and the diversity of thinking that happens when we're actually connecting in real time. And um, I'll say alternatively or conversely to that, I get really frustrated with others in my connective space that can only argue or debate on a thread and then it gets to a place of frustration and then now we, we really are polarized and that is so discouraging to me and I want to just acknowledge it. I'm part of the problem because, because it is true that I've had the, the very thoughts outlined in the documentary about, you know, like, how can they, how can they not see what I'm seeing? That exact thinking um, only perpetuates the disconnect and um, yeah. I'm, I hope to have more real-time conversations off social media with the diverse perspectives out there um, because I really do find meaning in that. Yeah, I think right now as a country, we're just so divided and it's really sad. And then when you see that happening in your family and your close friends where you don't share the same views, it's devastating. I feel like I have to keep an open mind because I too guilty of it. Feeling so, so strong about my convictions and my beliefs and not able to see the other side. And I have to keep an open mind if I'm going to keep my family <laughs> as my family. I know. It's family is the true test, right? Because we, we choose our friends and we're born into our families, you know, so we can surround ourselves with our like-minded posses in our social networks, you know, but when it comes to family, like it takes a different skill set of, of connecting against odds, you know, so it just, it, it begs more of us. It can be, it's just a different process. So, well, I guess uh, to kind of, cause I'm sure we could probably talk about this forever and a day, I guess, um, I'd love to hear after watching that and after becoming aware of how we're essentially pawns in the social media platforms, um, how will this awareness shift how you utilize social media moving forward? Have you decided on, you know, implementing new boundaries or restrictions <laughs> with your usage? Well, I'm working on launching a new business. So I need some quiet time. I have been feeling quite anxious and short fused, as my husband would say. That is how he describes me lately, as having a short fuse. So <laughs> I, I definitely need to make some kind of change. And I'm thinking that I'm going to disconnect and you and I will then work out what we need to work out for the whole month of November because I am going to start writing the beginnings of a book. So um, that's my plan. Definitely need to disconnect. So I'm going to put things in place to disconnect, but I'm still going to have conversations and I'm still going to use my phone. It's just going to be, you know, turning off those alerts, um, you know, letting people know that I'm going to be off the grid somewhat for the month of November. So the month of October is going to be that planning. And then I don't even want to think about after the election. So, because we don't know what the outcome is <laughs> and I don't want to be on social media for that. So, so that's, that's what I'm planning to do. And I already told my husband, I'm, I'm going to be a much better person 
after I disconnect because I feel that anxiety all the time. I'm anxious. I get on my bike. I get on my treadmill. I go hiking. I do all those things, you know, to release and have outlets, but it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. I think social media is really causing me to have this anxiety and I'm sure I'm not alone. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I did a little test because I finished the documentary last night and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be using social media. I'm not addicted. I'll just turn it off. I'll use it for work like I need to, um, but I'll be very discerning on what constitutes a need to. And then this morning I woke up and the first thing I did was I grabbed my phone and I wrestled with whether or not to open those apps. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and I did open the app. So I am going to be really watching it. Um, and my hope is to really eliminate the, oh, I'm bored. I'm going to check my apps. Oh, I'm lonely. I'm going to check my apps. You know, I want to cut out the usage that is driven from those motivations and just like that nervous, anxious pull to the phone and really limit it to... I actually need to post something on my work account right now or something like that and maybe limit to a once a day, which would be, that would be an achievement for me. Once a day, actually opening the apps for a social like check-in basically. So once a day, social, and then really defining when to use for work. And then when it comes to my daughter, <laughs> she's fortunately not on any social media right now, but I want to get some of these habits kind of ironed out as best I can before we approach the age where it becomes a nagging issue, which is years off from now, but it is something that I'll be thinking of how to set those boundaries with her because uh, the, the middle school usage is kind of terrifying. And, and the gaming, now there's the, the thing, it's not only social media, it's gaming. So the gaming has become an issue. So because yeah. the gaming is also social, like that's how you connect with your friends online right now. It's Yeah, you put the headset yeah. on and you're constantly talking to them, having conversation. I mean, why can't we do youth live podcasts? Hey, I am doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so we'll see. I have to do a little bit more uh, soul searching on what my boundaries will be with my own usage. It's, it's apparent after just the last 12 hours that I have a problem. <laughs> so. Boy, yeah, I know. Now it's become more apparent and it's, it's right up there on the surface. So, yeah. you know, now that we saw this, you know, we saw it. So, um, <laughs> so we want to, I mean, you know, one of the things that at the end of the documentary that they said is, you know, by having conversations and voicing our opinions, we can change the narrative and the direction. Having more conversations like this, voicing our concerns and opinions, small steps towards the goal, it's going to impact what the outcome is, you know, and, and it's not going to happen overnight. They said it's going to be, it's going to take a long time to really change and towards a positive where, where we're feeling that we're not being manipulated or tracked, but we're taking steps. It's baby steps. If we're all aware of it, like you said, you know, promote this awareness of this documentary and what's happening to us <laughs> as humans, the democracy um, is being jeopardized 
I think we need to really, really look at that and continue to have the conversation. And there you have it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you feel like social media is an issue in your life, we we want to hear from you. Please put your comments in whatever platform you are accessing this podcast and let us know what you think about your own personal usage and habits and what changes you'll be making in your own lives. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you share our podcast with other women in your circle. And remember, your voice is your superpower.